this bad boy here, that will make a lot of difference to you as well. Now you can hear me like I'm a radio broadcaster. Yeah, uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that sounds good. Excellent. Beautiful. All right. It's all working. Rock and roll. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and welcome to episode 90 of the WP Elevation podcast. We are in the danger zone. We are in the naughty 90s, or the nervous 90s, if you're a cricket fan. Um, our feature guest this week, I can't believe we're in the 90s. This is unbelievable. I've, I recently went back and watched episode one of the WP Elevation podcast, where the guest was Brennan Dunn. He was fantastic. I was terrible. Uh, well, I wasn't terrible, but I was uh, very nervous and a little bit uh, unprepared. I feel like I've evolved, and I feel like this podcast has evolved a lot over the... Uh, almost two years that we've been running this now. Uh, So anyway, this week's feature guest is Ross Johnson. Thank you for sticking with us and thanks for being a part of it. Ross Johnson is from 3.7 Designs, a web consultancy in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, Ross says, I often feel like the kid who can't wait to remind the teacher to assign homework before the class ends. But if you can make a living doing what you like, why question it, eh? Uh, There's lots of good stuff in this interview. Ross is also the author of a plugin, WordPress plugin called Project Panorama, or Project Panorama, as he says. (laughs) And he's giving away a single site license and a professional license of the Project Panorama plugin for WordPress. Stick around for details on how you can enter that competition a little bit later on. Stay with us. Let's elevate. This is the WP Elevation Podcast. Helping WordPress consultants elevate. This episode of the WP Elevation Podcast is brought to you by Video User Manuals, the only way to teach your clients how to use WordPress. The original plugin from 2008 that puts video tutorials in your client's WordPress dashboard to teach them how to use WordPress, how to use WooCommerce, SEO by Yoast, how to use Gravity Forms, and how to set up and read their Google Analytics reports. Of course, all the videos and the written manual are updated with every stable release of WordPress. You can hide videos or even entire sections of videos if they don't apply. For example, you could just turn off the WooCommerce videos if your client doesn't have WooCommerce installed. The Video User Manuals plugin is $24 a month or $240 a year, and you can take the Video User Manuals plugin for a spin on all of your client sites for just $1 for your first 30 days by going to videousermanuals.com slash podcast. That's videousermanuals.com slash podcast, and you'll be able to access the plugin there for just $1 for your first month. Support for WP Elevation also comes from Audible. Audible has over 180,000 titles in their library of audiobooks. I love audiobooks. I listen to audiobooks whenever I'm not listening to podcasts. You can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a free 30-day trial by visiting wpelevation.com slash audible. That's wpelevation.com slash audible. Download a free audiobook right now and get a free 30-day trial of audible and start enjoying audiobooks when you're not listening to our podcast. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation. Welcome to another episode of the WP Elevation podcast. Our feature guest this week is Ross Johnson from 3.7 Designs. Hey, Ross, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we are going to talk a lot about um, 
WordPress, of course. We're going to talk about running a web agency and what it means to turn 10 running a web agency. We're going to be talking about the Project Panorama, or as Ross says, Project Panorama uh, plugin, project management tool uh, plugin for WordPress. We're going to be talking about all that kind of stuff. But before we get into that, a quick competition announcement. Ross has very kindly um, offered to give away. Now, what was it you offered to give away again, Ross? <laughs> <laughs> Two licenses to uh, Project Panorama. So I'll give away one unlimited site license and one single site license. Beautiful. That is awesome. Thank you very much. Um, so stick around for details on how you can enter that competition a little bit later on. All right. Hey, before we start geeking off about all things WordPress and SaaS and entrepreneur stuff and internetish things, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, there was a wide range of things, but actually graphic designer for quite a while I did want to pursue. But, you know, at the time that I was kind of getting into it, desktop publishing um, wasn't what it was today. So when I first started learning some of those things, it was, you know, uh, cutting out photos and stuff like that and setting them on sheets and sending those off to be uh, photographed and all that. Um, so I actually gave that up for a while thinking that there wasn't a future in it. <laughs> Ah, uh, the irony. <laughs> and, I know. Uh, so when did when did when did you discover? Was there a was there like a natural progression of discovering the internet and going? Oh, hang on a second. Maybe that dream of being a graphic designer is actually translatable, uh, given this new technology that's come about. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I kind of like went back and forth on it. Um, so when I was about to graduate from high school. That was like right around the dot-com boom. So, you know, I'd given it up thinking that this is really antiquated. Um, I don't know that this is something that I want to do to all of a sudden, like if you did design, especially on the web, you're a rock star. You know, people are flying you out to Silicon Valley. You didn't have to have a college career or anything. And you made tons of money. And then by the time I went to graduate, like just about, I graduated in 2000, um, the bust had occurred. And all of a sudden, all those people were unemployed. So uh, at that point, I figured I'd just be a computer programmer and went into computer science for a while. And I only circled back to web design when I was getting plenty of freelance clients um, because back then, if you did IT, you also did the website. So I kind of like went back and forth towards it. Um, and it's funny that I ended up actually doing it. Cool. Um, and so, so, uh, so how, how long into it, like did you think – was was it kind of an instant instantaneous thing of thinking? Well, you know, I'm I'm def whatever it is I'm doing, I'm definitely going to be doing it on the internet. Or did you feel like that the that you'd be doing something in terms of graphic design, but it might be offline? Or you know, when you discovered the internet, was it an instant kind of you know was it an instant kind of love affair? Yeah, it definitely was. Um, yeah, I think you know once I discovered the internet and like I started where a lot of people did with like AOL. Um, so I, I couldn't get enough of it. And that was back when, uh, like, you had to pay per minute sort of thing. <laughs> and so uh, I racked up huge, huge bills on that and, like, eventually got my parents wouldn't let me use it anymore. And then kind of snuck my way online, used my friends' accounts and stuff like that. So I guess I've always had kind of a, maybe an unhealthy attraction to it. And uh, once web design it kind of re-became a viable career path, that was... Um, I, I definitely I didn't look back sort of thing. When, do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? Yeah, yeah. It was in 2006, and I had been playing around with Blogger um, because I was, at the time I was listening to the uh, Boag World podcast, 
which was one of the first podcasts on web design back then. And uh, he talked about how he felt it was important to have a blog, and I figured I should too. So that was like the first place that I started, but I, I wanted more control, and WordPress was kind of like the next best, or not the next best thing, but the, the only other viable alternative at the time. Was it... Um I've spoken to a lot of people about why they continued to use WordPress after they first started using it. Were you were you looking at other options as well? Like, were you, were you doing the, the typical kind of, you know, try and get Drupal or Joomla up and running or take Expression Engine for a spin, or was WordPress kind of it when you discovered it? Uh, no, I tried a whole bunch of different things. So, I mean, in 2006, I forget exactly what version it was. It was like 2.0 something and while I loved it for blogging it just it didn't fit my needs as far as content management systems Mm. so um, I always used it on blogs but every time I tried to use it as a CMS it just didn't feel quite right like I had to spend more time trying to train clients on how to use it than it took to build the site Mm. and uh, at the time I think like Joomla and Mambo were the the really popular ones so I, I think I tried text pattern I tried silver Stripe, and it wasn't until like 2.7 or 2.8 that I came back to WordPress for all sites. And why was that? Why did you come back to WordPress? I think it was, you know, the community was a big part of it. Uh, I had been doing a lot of stuff with Silverstripe um, prior because they had like a really nice interface for creating um, essentially custom content types and custom fields. And it was really easy to hand off to clients. But the community was so small that if you ran into any issue, it was really hard to find somebody who knew how to fix it. <laughs> and there just wasn't that much available, um, you know, plug-in wise, or I think they called them modules. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and meanwhile, like WordPress, the community is exploding. There's just, you know, all kinds of new stuff being released all the time. And you could have any obscure question, somebody somewhere knew the answer. So, mm. um, yeah, sounds that like, seemed to work real well. Sounds like uh, those those uh, few months that I flirted with Magento and uh, trying, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get something to work and logging into the forums and asking a question and three weeks later you might get a response. Whereas uh, in, in the WordPress.org, you know, forums you'd ask a question and within 30 minutes you'd get an answer from someone uh, somewhere in the world i had a very similar experience and i think um the community and the plugin repository i think are the two cornerstone things that have really allowed wordpress to grab so much of the market yeah i agree i mean like there's none of the other platforms even come close and you know the people that i talk to and you probably experience the same it's like one of the first things that's really drawn them to wordpress is the amount of help that they can get so easily and also the amount of functionality that is at their fingertips Mm. how do you describe what you do in one sentence uh, thinking about what you do at 3.7 designs how do you how do you what's your elevator pitch so to speak uh, I guess to put it simply, um, I help companies and organizations solve problems through design. Oh, nice, nice. So uh, you guys, but you're not just designers, are you? No. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I have kind of a history with both. Um, I guess development and design. Um, my wife, who's a partner, is the same. She's more front end. Um, so certainly we have experience kind of on both sides of things, but we've always been kind of design focused, um, which I think goes back to like, my dad was an architect. So I I grew up kind of seeing how he approached things. And I think that's something that I've really learned is, um, you know, design is not just about making things pretty. It's not even 
just about making things pretty and easy to use. That there's this whole realm of things that you know designing something should accomplish, and thinking about those things really shapes the outcome of whatever it is you're trying to do. Mm. What's uh, what's the typical client look like for you guys at Three Point Seven Designs? Who are the who are the usual kind of clients that come through the door? It's funny, you know, we get the, that question a lot, and. It's it's hard to say. We, you know, it's strange that we don't have what I would call a typical client, which I don't know. That might mean that we're not marketing well. <laughs> You're supposed to pick your niche, right? <laughs> um, but we'll work with anybody from like really small startups if they've gotten some funding or some angel investment um, to international companies. We've worked with a couple international companies, and they don't really specifically fit into one particular industry. So I think it's more based on the type of needs they have mm. for a project, you know, the type of site that they're looking for, that it kind of fits within our wheelhouse, which typically is more design-focused. Um, we tend to do a lot of lead generation-based sites, a little, you know, less e-commerce. Um, they might have an e-commerce component, but a lot of times it's it's about building awareness and generating leads. I think it's an interesting distinction that you make because <clears throat> I do have this conversation a lot about um, niching or picking your, your market, and I don't necessarily think it has to be a vertical. I think it can be mm-hmm. uh, the type of client or the type of problem that they're solving uh, or the type of problem that they're wanting help solving. So is is lead generation or lead capture a common thread with a lot of your clients? Yeah, I think so. Um, even though it's not necessarily, you know, like I know companies that like lead generation is what they do. Um, they do like inbound marketing and work with like HubSpot and tools like that. And that's not necessarily what we're looking for. But I think it's a commonality between a, the needs that a lot of our clients have, even if they don't necessarily realize that that's their ultimate need. And I'm sure you experience this too, where people come to you and they say, hey, I need a website. And they, what they think they need is a website, but really they need a solution for their business, which mm. in our case, a lot of times they're looking for people to you know, hire them or purchase, come into the door and you know, or live where they're, they're you know, housing, housing that they built, stuff like that. And um, how, what, what's, what's the main source of, of clients coming into your business? Is it just referral word of mouth or do you guys do any kind of outreach or, or outbound stuff? Yeah, a lot of it's, uh, it's word of mouth referrals and then we participate a lot in the local community. We run the local WordPress meetup. Um, we've organized a WordCamp Ann Arbor last year. We're doing it this year. We helped organize WordCamp Detroit. We go to a lot of the various different work camps around. So you mentioned you were in Chicago uh, last year. We were actually at that too. So oh. unfortunately, it sounds like we didn't run into each other, but mm. maybe next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, so I want to talk a little bit more about 3.7 Designs and some of your processes in a little while. But before we get there, what do you actually spend most of your time doing day to day? A lot of things. You know, we're a small company, uh, so there's... You know, there's only four of us, um, which means that you know, our time is split kind of between a lot of different things. Now, what I'd love to do is mostly just focus on design and, and maybe front end. Um, but you know, I spend the first hour of the day answering emails. Um, I probably spend 40% of the day actually coding and then maybe 10 to 20% um, doing design. And then the rest is random administrative stuff. And how do you know, I'm always fascinated by, you know, you have those, like I, 
I always call it the Tuesday afternoon dilemma where, you know, it's the middle of an average Tuesday afternoon and you look at your computer and you ask yourself, what am I supposed to be doing right at this moment? How, <laughs> how, how do you know what it is you're supposed to do next? And, and, and how do you know that what you're about to do is the, is the best use of your time right then and there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's, it's something that I struggle with and I imagine lots of people do. Uh, you know, I had, I'm fortunate to have some help. We have a project manager, and he does a pretty good job of kind of keeping things on our radar. When he feels like something's taking too long, he'll let us know. So that certainly, you know, reinforces um, some decisions. But uh, you know, I think one thing as a company that that we are always trying to prove upon is is trying to work on what's important versus what's urgent. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to get stuck in you know doing these things that are quote unquote urgent. Um, that aren't actually urgent and you overlook the things that are really important, like trying to evolve your company. So I'd say a lot of times, um, you know, what I pick on a Tuesday afternoon is deadline driven. Um, but we kind of have some high level goals that, uh, we always try and circle back on and, and keep working on so that, you know, the next project runs smoother rather than just trying to get something out the door. Uh, it's really interesting that you say that urgent versus important. I think did that come from uh, did it come from Stephen Covey Seven Habits of Highly yeah. Effective People, right? So because because usually what's important, and this is one of the challenges I think with client services, what's important to you is very different to what's important to your clients, or what is seemingly important to your clients. How do you manage? How do you manage those expectations, and how do you kind of how do you uh, balance that? You know responding to what clients think is important, but also not dropping the important work that you need to do internally? Yeah, I think um, it's a constant challenge. But, you know, one thing that we've done that's had a fair amount of success is just kind of talk to our clients ahead of time about um, how we handle things that come in. You know, for a long time, if a client needs something, they just kind of send us an email. We'd say, okay, we'll do it. And eventually we would do it and the duration or like how long it would take for us to complete that was very driven by how much trouble they gave us about it. So, you know, the, the more upset they were that something wasn't the way they wanted it, um, the sooner we would get it done and just kind of building a process around that and, and having like an official way that, um, you know, work gets sent to us and then having different rates based on how quickly something needs to get done. So if it is something that's urgent, the client shouldn't mind paying a little bit more money to have expedited service, just like you would anything else. You know, if you're going to ship something next day, it's going to cost more money. Um, and so that's kind of helped. You know, it gets them thinking about it ahead of time, and also it, it helps them plan for the future because you know if they know that there's going to be a financial incentive to letting us know early. Um, it minimizes some of those sort of quote unquote urgent emails. Mm. <laughs> what's the uh, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night about the business? Uh, deadlines. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no, <laughs> no surprises there. Um, yeah. And what's what's the process for like if you know you're going to miss a deadline? Because let's you know, let's be frank, everyone misses deadlines. Shock horror, but everyone does. Yeah. What's the what's the, your process <laughs> for? You know, what do you do if you know you're going to miss a deadline? Do you just like sprint and try and get it done and hope the client doesn't realise, or do you contact the client straight up and say, "Hey, we're going to miss this deadline, and here's why." Yeah, that's always a tough situation. Um, you know, a lot of times we do try and, and sprint, and sometimes it depends on like why we're going to miss the deadline. Like sometimes there's been 
you know, factors on the client side. And, and we try and be as transparent as possible saying like, you know, we expected content three weeks ago and we didn't get it. Um, and sometimes it's just, you know, the day to day things, the urgent things that comes up, somebody's site goes down or somebody's site attack that just kind of prevents you from finishing it. And, uh, in those cases, I think we just try and be as honest as possible and, and get as close to ready as possible. And it's, you know, these, those rush situations are always tricky because, I'm a firm believer that you know the the faster you try and work, like in an unnaturally fast pace, your quality work goes down. So there's going to be more things that you miss. So I, I really like to try and avoid those. I, I'm always advocating over doing it right versus doing it quick. Mm. Um, but ultimately, it becomes the client's call. I heard someone <clears throat> say once that um, you can you can pick. You know, there's good, cheap, and fast. You can have two out of three. You can't have all three. <laughs> And if I'll just let that roll around in our listeners' heads for a while because, uh, you know, think about it good, cheap, and fast. I mean, if you know, if it's good and cheap, it's not going to happen quickly. Um, (laughs) so, uh, so what do you do when you're not working? How do you, how do you, how do you stay balanced? And how do you, I mean, I'm assuming that you are balanced and that you you do have some kind of (laughs) ooh, that's a a dangerous assumption. Um, (laughs) yeah, no, I do work a lot. Um, uh, I guess one hobby, I'm a watch collector, so I spend uh-huh. a probably unhealthy amount of time researching and looking at and talking about watches. Wow. Going to watch meetups. They have watch meetups. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's actually it's pretty new, um, at least around here. I mean, I, I figure bigger cities in Ann Arbor have probably gotten them sooner, but I've been to a couple now. They're pretty fun. What, what do you do at a watch meetup? Do you just stand around and look at each other's wrists or...? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, to some extent, yeah. Uh, most people, they, they, they bring a collection because I mean, if you're going to go to a meetup, chances are you have at least a few and uh, see what everybody else has and talk about them and then talk about what you want to buy next or what you're trying to sell. It's uh, it's it's almost like an obsession. It's kind of funny because you know, people will buy them and they'll sell them like three months later and you get people who will rebuy the same one over and over again. So it's it's a strange hobby, but I love it. Um, wow, that's fascinating. There's, I mean, there's, you know, there's a niche for everything, isn't there? I'm always fascinated by people who yeah. get really passionate about something, you know, that's not quite mainstream. Like, and I'm not saying that watches aren't mainstream, but I've, ne- I've never actually met a watch collector before, or in, in fact, someone who goes to <laughs> watch meetups. How do you like? Do you have that? Mo- do you have that time, that moment where you meet pe- other people that are watch meetup, and you go, yeah, you know, a lot of people might think this is a bit weird, but we think it's kind of cool. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, because usually we end up meeting up at, like, a restaurant or something like that. And there might, I mean, for our size meetup, there's, like, 10 to 20 people who brought 10 to 20 watches each. And wow. we're just standing around drinking beer, pointing at each other's wrists. And wow. uh, I'm sure everybody else at the restaurant's wondering what's wrong with us. Yeah. Um, so what do you look for in a good watch? And is the Apple Watch something that uh, a watch collector is interested in? Or is it is it kind of too... Uh, is it, is it, are you guys too highbrow to uh, – <laughs> are, like, are you, like, interested in old-school, analog, beautifully crafted watches that have, you know, amazing machinery or and the Apple Watch is just something that's not on your radar or – Yeah, it's a good question. Um, for the most part, you nailed it. Yeah, a lot of watch collectors, they like mechanical watches, so mm. something that's not powered by a battery. Um, and, yeah, it's all about the craftsmanship. Yeah, it's, I, it, I equate it a lot to – to my love of design in general, you know, it's interesting for a watch has 
a surprising amount of constraints. There's, there's very few things that you can actually change watch to watch. They all need to have a dial. They all need to indicate what hour and minute it is or what second it is. Sometimes there's a date. It has to attach to wrist somehow. But there's an infinite variation or number of variations on the watch, and there's thousands of different watches out there. So for something with so few components, people find ways to be creative. Um, so I, I really like... Um, kind of the design, the visual aspects, certainly the engineering that goes into powering something that can track time within a few seconds a month um, to the atomic clock that's all powered by gravity. That's pretty cool. And uh, as far as the Apple Watch, you know, it seems like most collectors, um, they either really like the idea or they're not interested. I don't think anybody dislikes it because Apple actually did quite a few things that are a nice nod to a traditional watch, like having a crown, um, some of their band styles, stuff like that. Even the design itself is really nice. Um, but me personally, I, I like my mechanical watches, so I probably won't buy one. Cool. Nice one. Hey, um, let's switch gears a little bit. Pardon the pun. Let's switch gears a little bit and uh, <laughs> and uh, talk a little bit about um, Project Panorama or uh, how do you pronounce it? Pa- Panorama? Panorama. Yeah. Panorama. Yeah. It's like, a t- tom- <laughs> it's like a tomato tomato thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, I say panorama. panorama. Um, that might just be my English accent. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> as opposed to my uh, Australian <laughs> accent, which is yeah, panorama. right, right. <laughs> um, so, t- so for those that don't know, I'm actually on the Project Panorama site right now, and by the way, it looks amazing. Like the design is just beautiful. Uh, t- for those that don't know, what is Project Panorama? So, Project Panorama is a project communication tool and a lightweight project management tool. Um, So most project management tools like Basecamp or Apsana, they're very much geared towards internal teams. You know, like if we're working on a project together, I might sign you some tasks and give you some deadlines and some milestones. Mm -hmm. And maybe the client would log in to kind of see what's going on. Um, But most project management tools aren't so client friendly. Like you log into Basecamp and all you see is a Mm -hmm. bunch of Mm to-dos. And it doesn't really tell you what's going on. So the idea with Panorama is that each client or customer, because we have a lot of non-service-based companies that use it, um, would log in and they could just get a visual snapshot of of what's happened so far, how far in the project we are, what's going to happen next, and then how are we in relative to the general timeline. So it's really a tool to communicate with clients. Um, Some people do use it kind of more as like a all-encompassing project management tool, but I would say it's more lightweight. It doesn't have Gantt charts and stuff like that. So why, why, why this tool? I mean, I mean so, so there's, there's, the obvious thing is, okay, this is a product that maybe might generate some revenue for you. That's an obvious motivation. But why this particular tool? If you're going to make a commercial product and try and sell it, why, a, why this particular one? Like what was the problem that you were trying to solve? Yeah, so I originally got the idea probably in like 2012, and I was meeting with a client, and he was talking about you know how the project would go, and at some point he basically said um, he would just send me an email every week with the thermometer showing how far we are on the project. I think he was kind of referencing like, have you ever seen those um, like fundraising thermometers mm. where like you get more money, you color it in, mm. and. It occurred to me like this is a brilliant analogy that could save me a lot of time because I'd always get these interruptions where clients would call or email and say, "Hey, what's going on with the project?" And I'd have to stop what I was doing and explain. And you know, no amount of setting dates um, or sending them a plan would would seem to help with that. And I figured I can build this in HTML. 
So the first idea was just a static HTML page that I'd manually edit, and it had like a progress bar. And that was too cumbersome, so I decided, hey, this could be a WordPress plugin. So I released it uh, on the repository in like 2012 under the name Project Status, and kind of didn't do much with it. I had like a buy me beer um, little notification on there, and every once in a while I get like ten bucks. And uh, I think in 2000, the end of 2013. Um, I actually met uh, Justin Fairman from LearnDash, uh-huh. and he had fairly recently launched LearnDash and was kind of talking about his experiences. It just occurred to me that um, this I could do the same thing. I've got this plugin out there, and I went and checked back, and you know, some twelve thousand people had downloaded it, which I figured was enough market validation for me, and um, figured that if, if I had more financial incentive, uh, I could dedicate more time to it, and. Um, released it later in 2014, actually March 19th on my birthday. Nice. And um, March 19, on your birthday, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Nice, nice birthday present. Um, yeah. <laughs> my wife is March 20. Uh, oh. Completely random. Um, so why <laughs> – so how, So I'm curious, you know, the, so, so project status. So you had no real idea that people were going to use this before you built it, right? Yeah, you know, people were using project status, you know, quite a, like, you know, people bought me beer. They didn't have to buy, send me any money. Um, every once in a while, I get people emailing me requesting something. So it seemed like it was the sort of thing that if I did a better job, um, maybe kind of like created a more complete product that it was a need that not, I, I wasn't the only one who needed it. Mm. Um, there was a need out there. And, um, releasing it that's that's what i discovered and it's been really interesting because i I built it thinking that people in my position would be the main clients you know web designers and developers um but people use it for all sorts of different things like i've had roofers purchase it um somebody was using it to track like a religious pilgrimage that they were doing so (laughs) i mean really things i never imagined which is pretty fun wow um how do you handle support? Like, what was wasn't wasn't the big wasn't the big th- kind of fear that oh, if I launch this, I'm just going to get inundated with people asking questions about how to use it, and therefore it's just going to like kill my time. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's that's definitely um, it, that was a fear, and it continues to be a fear. So when I first released it, there's a lot of features that I didn't include, thinking that this would create more support than it's worth, mm. and. Yeah, it's a that's a lesson that I, I feel like I've learned a lot from reading the stuff that uh, the Thirty Seven Signal guys have, have put out. Mm. That you know, just because somebody wants a feature doesn't mean that it's the right decision for the business. Mm. Um, there's some features that'd be really fun, but just aren't financially viable. The, the amount of support time that would require making those work would make those features basically not profitable. So I'm always thinking about those things before we're adding anything to it. And how, how, what's, the, what's the marketing strategy now that you've got this premium product up? How are you going about promoting it? Um, well, it's, we did a lot in the beginning. You know, I asked some people to blog about it, which went a long way. Um, you know, I, our agency blog still has quite a few subscribers, so we talked about that. And um, reached out to some of the other um, WordPress-focused news sites out there, like WP Mayor, and, and paid for a... Um, a paid article. So those sort of things kind of got it rolling. That's what got sales in the door in the beginning and kind of kept my motivation up. So I felt like 
continuing. And from there, we've kind of really focused on SEO and sponsoring WordCamps because um, it's great to sponsor, sponsor WordCamps anyways because being organizers, we know how far that goes. Mm. And um, it's a great way to, to reach the core market. You know, I, I still think most of the people purchasing it are service providers who work with WordPress. So it's, it's hard to find a, a more targeted place than a WordCamp. Mm. Is the plan to uh, is, is I mean is the plan to scale this and to try and supplement some of the agency revenue with a, a product revenue? Yeah, yeah, and actually, you know, as far as sales go, it's it's been well beyond what I expected. You know, I expected to do a few a month, and, and you know, we do many many times that. Um, so so it does it is something that we're we're exploring more and more. And we actually released our second premium plugin. Um, last month, and that's doing pretty well. Um, so we're definitely looking at those opportunities. And because it seems like Panorama addresses a need that doesn't currently isn't currently well served, even outside of WordPress, we're exploring the idea of turning it into a software as a service. Mm. Look out! <laughs> that's a uh, that's a big undertaking, isn't it? Yeah, it is um, much bigger than I expected. You know, at first we were thinking like, well, we could do like a WordPress multi-site, and there's a lot of tools out there where we could basically just have a more complex version of Panorama where we have more control. But eventually, got to the point where we realized, you know, at some point it's going to be WordPress will probably be limiting at least the way that it exists now um, with the WordPress API coming out. That might change, and so our, our discussions now are to kind of build our own service and API from the ground up, which is a whole another story. Mm. Absolutely. Well, well, out of curiosity, what would you build that in if you if you were to go down that road? Um, so you know, I'm talking to my developer uh, actually just last night. We we're talking about, it, and he's thinking that he wants to build it in Node as far as the service, and then we do something like uh, an Ember app on the front end. Mm. Interesting. I'm always um, curious as to what the flavor of the month is when people are talking about building. SaaS, you know, like four, three, four years ago, if we was to have this conversation, it would definitely have been Rails. Everyone was building everything <laughs> on Ruby on Rails, and now it seems that Node is uh, is kind of the go to solution. Uh, you wouldn't build yeah, it. Yeah, which you, worries me. You wouldn't build it on uh, PHP. I, you know, I thought about that, and he did. Um, he did kick around the idea of doing like a Larval app, which is a mm. PHP framework. Um, and I, yeah, I'm a little worried, you know, for those reasons exactly you mentioned that Rails was so popular, and, and now not that it's not popular, it just doesn't have the fanfare it used to. And certainly Node is the popular one, but that to me says that at some point it's not going to be popular, mm. <laughs> or at least have the popular it does now. So I, I don't know if we're jumping on the bandwagon right as it's about to go off the trail or, or what, but uh, <laughs> but I trust them. So. <laughs> hey, now I'm curious about the dynamic in your agency. If I've got this right. Your, is it your partner who is also the CEO of the company? Yes. Yep. Right. How does that? Uh, how does that? How does that? How, how do you go working with your partner? Like I've, I'm always fascinated by couples who work together. Uh, yeah, it's um, you know for us it hasn't been that bad, and I think it's because we met because we're both designers. Like so, and I've had the company for. 10 years and my wife had her own agency, uh, more like a freelance um, consultancy that she had done for five or six years at the time. And that's how we met. Like, you know, we started working together. And I think because we worked really well together and that's like how our relationship started, it made it much easier to trans transition into um, having the same company. You know, once we got wedding or once we got married, um, 
it didn't make sense to have two competing companies. Mm. So, you know, my company had, uh, the name had a little more recognition. So we decided just to kind of roll everything together there. And, um, because she's in charge, she became the CEO and I got demoted. But yeah, so how did that okay. work? Like, so had, had it like, so you've got a company, you meet, you meet Lindsay, you get married, she comes into the company and then takes over as boss. <laughs> yeah, right. Which is how marriage works, right? Like you're, you're CEO of your own life and then you get married and then somebody else is in charge, but you're okay with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, that's a nice analogy. I like it. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Um, and do you, guys, yeah. what, do you guys have like an office space that you work out of or are you a remote team that you'll work from home? How does that work? We've had a bit of both. We have an office um, in downtown Ann Arbor, which isn't that big, but we're right above a brewery, which is awesome. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it makes for some fun Fridays. Uh, But um, we live like 30 minutes, uh, probably 20 minutes outside of the office. So there's a bit of a commute and our project manager is about 45 minutes. So we do end up working from home quite a bit just because it saves you like an hour of driving. Yeah. Um, but when you need client meetings and or really need to focus, it's nice to be able to have a physical place to go. Mm. Nice. I got. I do have to say, your website is just the design is just beautiful. I, I could Thank I you. could spend a lot of time on your website. Just all just the subtle animations, the topography, the color scheme. It's just absolutely beautiful, and it doesn't look like one of those typical, you know, kind of here's a flat design template, away you go. There's obviously been a lot of – it looks handcrafted. I don't know if it is, but it certainly looks handcrafted. And, um, it, yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's just beautiful to look at. The typography is just gorgeous. Anyway, um, uh, right, so we should do the elevation round. For those that don't know, WP Elevation is a business accelerator program for WordPress consultants. So I'm about to ask Ross a series of quick questions and – Hopefully, he's going to give us a series of quick answers off the top of his head about freelancing and consulting. All right. What is the number one thing any freelancer or consultant absolutely needs to know? Um, reinvestment. Oh, that's the first time anybody said that. Reinvestment. Oh, cool. Reinvestment in, in your own knowledge and your own experience. I think everything, reinvesting in your business. It's, I think it's easy to get to a point where you, you feel comfortable, you have enough money coming in, and you can kind of get complacent. And at that point, I feel like you kind of create yourself a job, not a business. So just kind of reinvesting in the business, trying to improve things, reinvest in yourself, you know, see how can you get to the next level. Mm. Nice. Uh, what is the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? Um, presenting. Yeah. I think going out and doing speaking engagements goes a really long way. How do you, I'm always curious about this because I'm a huge fan of speaking and presenting, but I know a lot of people that just frightens the pants off them. How do you get over that, 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 you know, how do you get over, how do you get out of your own way long enough just to get up and present something? Even if you know that you're not going to be very good, but I mean, cause no one's very good when they start out, we all improve over time. What, what was the secret for you guys in just kind of getting out there and doing it? Uh, for me, it was being way overconfident. So, you know, back when I started, I thought I knew a lot more than I did. And um, so I just felt like everybody needs to know what I've learned. Um, and there's actually a, a psychological principle for this called the Dunning-Kruger effect. But uh, I was so overconfident in, in what I thought I knew that I just had to educate the world. And then it was only three or four la- years later, and this is in my early 20s, um, that I realized like, oh, I didn't know as much as I thought I did, but I'm <laughs> practiced now, so. That's right, exactly. Fake it till you make it, huh? 
<laughs> right, right, yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, how do you how do you stop competing on price? Uh, I would say compete on quality. Mm, nice one. Uh, any tips on writing better proposals? Yeah, I think one thing that um, a lot I see a mistake I see a lot is people use boilerplate proposals, mm-hmm. and it's really obvious. And I think to some extent you're going to have to have some boilerplate. But one thing that we do that gets compliments all the time is we have a section specifically tailored towards the client or the person that we're pitching um, or the potential client, and we've got a section where we talk about the type of clients like them that we worked at worked with before. So if they're biomedical, we talk about the other biomedical companies we work with. And then we have another section where we talk about similar projects we've done before. And this makes them feel really comfortable because everybody comes to you saying, like, well, have you done my exact site before? Which, of course, you haven't. But if you kind of make them see that, yeah, we have experience doing these types of things and really calling that out, um, that seems to go a really long way. Mm. Nice one. Uh, any, uh, do you have a favorite tool or system for CRM? I think I might know the answer to that question. <laughs> um, CRM, actually, we need to be better about it. Uh, I guess you could say Panorama, uh, although it's not really a CRM. Um, but uh, we use Excel. I mean, we're, it's, I think it's an uh, area where we could improve. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I've spoken to plenty of you know entrepreneurs who just use Gmail. They just use their inbox as their CRM. So whatever works. Uh, what's, I know the answer to this next question. What's the best way to keep a project and a client on track? Project Panorama. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Uh, by the way, I'm just going to give a, a link out to that site. It is projectpanorama.com. Uh, definitely go and check that out. Um, any ideas for getting referrals from existing clients? Yeah, ask. I think um, it's just easy enough to ask and say, hey, we're always looking for new business, and if, if you're happy with what we did, um, we'd appreciate that you tell other people. Cool. And uh, final question in the elevation round, what's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? I think uh, focus on actually being different. I think there's a lot of copying going on, and uh, which is totally natural. You know, I think everybody does it to some extent. Like, I don't blame anybody for it. I'm sure we do it to some extent. But uh, right when you're thinking about how do I fit in or, like, what's somebody else doing so I can try and emulate it, try thinking of um, how could you do it differently. Mm. Uh, I, you're, you're absolutely right because it's a lot, there is a lot of copying going on. And I, th- I actually think it's because if people see someone doing something – by the way, thank you for getting us through the elevation round. Um, I, I think if people see someone doing something, the natural tendency is, well, if they're doing it, I'll do it and it's safe to do that. Like I'm not going to be ostracized from the tribe or banished because, you know, someone else is doing it so th- therefore it's okay for me to do it. But – Doing something truly original is a huge risk because the, the risk is that you, you're going to end up looking foolish and everyone's going to laugh at you and ultimately you're going to be, as I said, banished from the tribe and end up living in a trailer park somewhere and rotting and no one cares about you. Um, that's, obviously a, <laughs> that's obviously a drastic outcome. But, um, right. but uh, really, if you look at the people who are truly inspirational, they are unique and they are original and there's no one else like them and they have taken that risk and, they, and maybe for them it's just they don't know any better, that, that they can't do it any other way, that they just have to be completely authentic and truthful. Right, exactly. And I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you are talking about like the flat design templates. And it's like you can go to how many different agency or freelancer sites out there and they all kind of look the same. 
And what's funny about that, even though that's such a strong trend now, like that was weird and unique and nobody was doing it, you know, a few years ago whenever mm. everybody was trying to do the web 2.0 look. So somebody stepped out on a limb and said, hey, we don't need to have all these gradients and shadows. And that was the weird thing. So um, don't be afraid to kind of break free from those conventions and, and think about, is this really the way it has to be or should be? Mm. Yep, it's good advice. <clears throat> um, hey, we should announce the competition. Excuse me, we should announce the competition. Uh, Ross is, as I mentioned before, giving away two licenses of Project Panorama, one of the single site license and one of the unlimited, uh, the, which I think is called Professional. Is that right? Uh, yes, yep. Professional. Uh, so in order to enter this week's competition, Ross would like to know, what is the number one thing that stops you from being productive? What is the number one productivity killer in your business besides videos of cats on Facebook? Uh, what is the number <laughs> one productivity killer in your business? Leave a comment under this uh, podcast episode, which you can find at wpelevation.com slash Ross Johnson, which is R-O-S-S-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. No spaces, underscores, or other weird hieroglyphics. Um, and leave a comment underneath the podcast and tell Ross the number one productivity killer in your business, and I'll get Ross to swing by in a couple of weeks and award those prizes. Alrighty, hey, um, what's the future for you? Like, are you? Do you think that you'll be balancing client services and building premium plugins for a while to come, or are you wanting to just completely make the switch over to commercial plugins and finally let go of client services? How do you see the next sort of twelve months to two years panning out? Yeah, I'd like to do a bit of both. You know, I love kind of the creativity um, that you get with doing client services because every project is completely different. Um, it kind of gives you an ability to learn about different industries and companies that you never would. Uh, but there's a lot of challenges with it too, especially when it comes to scaling. So I would like to kind of focus on the product side of things too. Um, as far as the next 12 months, uh, we're expecting our first child in three weeks. So oh, congratulations. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. So yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be pretty hectic for a little bit, but we'll get back on track. Nice. Um, are you going to get the uh, the little one on a keyboard and start teaching them code as soon as they can talk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're hoping she'll be our fifth employee. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Oh, so you know you're having a girl? Yep, yeah, we're awesome. having a girl. Awesome. Nice one. Congratulations, man. That's fantastic. Um, hey, what's where can people reach out and thank you for this interview, Ross? Um, I think Twitter is a good place, so you can reach me at 3.Ross, that's at the number 3, P-O-I-N-T, Ross, um, or our website, which is 37designs.com, or Project Panorama, uh, projectpanorama.com. Awesome. Beautiful. Um, and final question, who would you like me to try and interview and why? Uh, I think John Hawkins from Nine Seeds in... Um, Vegas, if you haven't yeah. interviewed him before. Yep, I haven't. I think I've, I'm pretty sure I've met John at uh, Pressnomics, and you're not the first person to suggest John, so thank you for the reminder. Yeah, you're very welcome. He's been um, a mentor to first-time WordCamp organizers, so I've gone through his mentorships uh, one and a half times now, and a really smart, savvy businessman, and knows a lot about WordPress, so I think he'd be a good person to have on. Awesome. Well, John Hawkins from Nine Seeds, we're coming to get you, courtesy of Ross, so keep your eyes on your inbox. Uh, hey, Ross, thank you very much for spending some time with us on the WP Elevation podcast. I really appreciate it, and uh, I wish you all the best for the future for 3.7 Designs and Project Panorama. Thank you so much. Cool. Keep in touch. You too. Cheers. 
hope you enjoyed that episode of the WP Elevation podcast. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by Video User Manuals. You can get the plug-in for just $1 for your first month by going to videousermanuals.com slash podcast. Support for WP Elevation also comes from Audible. You can get your free audio book and a free 30-day trial by visiting wpelevation.com slash audible. That's wpelevation.com slash audible. Please subscribe to the WP Elevation podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a rating and a review. All the links and everything we spoke about in this episode you can find in the show notes, which will be at wpelevation.com slash Johnson. That's R-O-S-S-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. All one word, all lowercase. No spaces, underscores, hyphens, or other funny hieroglyphics, and especially no tildes. WPElevation.com slash Ross Johnson is the link for all the show notes and everything we spoke about. Remember to leave your comment underneath this episode of the podcast and tell Ross the number one productivity killer in your business, and you could win a single site license or an unlimited professional license of the Project Panorama project management plugin for WordPress. Next week on the podcast, I am super, super excited to announce our feature guest. We actually have two special guests next week. We have one of our WP Elevation members, Christina Romero, is jumping on the call to tell us what her big challenges are in the business, and she will be mentored in the podcast next week by one of my heroes and one of my idols, none other than Mr. Seth Godin. That is correct. Seth Godin will be on the podcast next week mentoring Christina Romero and helping her with her challenges in her business. Uh, Definitely tune in for that because it is amazing. And I was a little bit nervous. So I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Uh, I look forward to seeing you next week on the podcast. Until then, I'm Troy Dean. Go Elevate. Go Elevate.